Coming up on Golf Today, fresh off her second major title in France, Brooke Henderson stops by to talk about her strong play from tee to green in 2022, carrying the hopes of Canada every step of the way. And what to make of the season of Rolex number one, Jin Young Ko? Is there a part of her game holding her back? And can she finish the season with a flourish over the next several weeks? And just who is player of the year on the PGA Tour? Are you team Scotty Scheffler or maybe team Cameron Smith? Will the playoffs settle the debate or is it already over? Find out next right here on Golf Today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Golf today on a Wednesday, Damon Ack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine. As mentioned, a two-time major champ, Brooke Henderson, will join the program next hour. What are you most interested in asking young Brooke Henderson? I want to know what she was doing in those five weeks back in the spring when she found a little magic elixir somewhere, Damon. After missing the cut a couple of times in the tournaments out in L.A., Brooke Henderson took five weeks off, went home to mom, yeah. and back putting left hand low has won twice since then, including her second major championship. And it's so rare to see an elite athlete hit a reset button like that in the middle of a season mm. and suddenly find her stride. And, you know, sh she has the luxury now. Her season is secured. Yes. Guys we're going to talk about today on the PGA Tour don't have that luxury That's over the next point. couple of weeks. They're trying to find out exactly what they've got left in the tank to try to make the playoffs. I want to know how Brooke Henderson has carried Canada on her shoulders. I mean, she won her first major at the age of 18 when a lot of folks are graduating high school. <laughs> and how has she protected not just her confidence, but her mental health as well? It really is like, odd when you see athletes who have that extra burden but seem to carry it so lightly. Yeah. And it's not as though she was inactive between those six years of sure. major wins. She won nine LPGA Tour events in that time and became the Canadian golfer with the most wins on any global tour in the history of the game. So the burden only increased. And it's tough when you win a major at 18 years old to suddenly back it up. You're 24, they're telling you you haven't done anything for right. six years but you're still only 24 years old. Exactly. But she, she, it never seemed to wear Brooke Henderson mm. down. She's, she's been a consistent winner in that time and seems to have kept her head about her. It wasn't as though she needed a huge refresh. Yeah. How about the PGA Tour? Are you excited for this finish? we got five more events. There's going to be some, some sweaty moments, some, some joy, some pain. I mean, that's what the, the journalist wants to cover is the yin and the yang. Uh, and plus the Irish have an affinity for the misery <laughs> around golf. Anyway, and it, to me, it's always more interesting at this time of the year because there's so much more yeah. at stake. And yeah, I get people are playing for legacy and major championship trophies and trophies that matter throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. But you get into these last couple of weeks of the year and it determines whether or not guys actually have a job yeah. next year or how much they're going to have to work to find opportunities to play. And that only increases with next year. You know, Jay Monaghan at the Travelers announced that next year we go from 125 guys making the playoffs to 70. And then the fall series turns into a real Hunger Games of tr guys trying to secure some playing status for what will then be a calendar year season. Yes. Starting in 24. And I'm really relishing that point because there's a lot at stake once you get into the nitty gritty of guys actually playing for their livelihoods. And Q School coming back. Thank you, Jay oh, yeah. Monahan. All right, folks, we're less than 24 hours away from the start of the Rocket Mortgage Classic in the Motor City. It's the second-to-last PGA Tour stop until the FedEx Cup playoffs, and there's a lot on the line this week. So let's take a look 
at this final five. You see the three playoff events at the bottom. You got Memphis. You got Wilmington, Delaware. Of course, it all ends in Atlanta, Georgia. East Lake Golf Club for the Tour Championship that last week in August. So I think it's time to maybe state your case on who is the player of the year on the PGA Tour at this point. Really down to two contenders, Amy. When you think back in April, coming off his third win of the season, at the WGC Dell Technologies match play, Scotty Scheffler, there he was, almost in disbelief. Sunday morning, questioning if he even belonged. Could he hold on to that lead he did to get that first major title at the Masters? Since then, has not relinquished the top spot in the world rankings, but oh, there has been a guy closing the gap. His closest competitor, the Aussie Cameron Smith, players championship title under his belt already. Pulled off that incredible comeback at the old course. Final round, 64 to win the Open. So let's take a look at them side by side. Eh? Maybe tail of the tape. You see that Scotty has much, uh, much busier 2022. The win's pretty close, but look, that's four wins and three runner-ups to three wins and no runner-ups for Cam Smith. More top tens for Scotty, more top 25s, even in terms of missed cuts. So state your case, Eamon Lynch. Who is the player of the year at this point. I would argue our graphics a little misleading here because if you just go from the calendar year of 2022, there isn't such a big gap in terms of the number of tournaments played. Scotty Scheffler, I think, has made 16 starts this year versus 13 in the calendar mm, year right. for Cam Smith. This is clearly a race that's going to be decided in the next few weeks. And some years we get to this point in the year where whatever happens in the playoffs isn't really going to affect the the player of the year vote and this is not one of those years it clearly is going to affect right now I would give the edge to Scotty Scheffler not just for the four victories that he's had but he's also been runner-up three times out there and even if you look at the the world ranking points which really are a testament to consistency if nothing else that he's accumulated this year He's accumulated 106 more world ranking points in 2022 than Cam Smith has. By comparison, Dustin Johnson has compiled a total of 80 world yeah. ranking points this year. And so, you know, he, he just seems to be considerably more consistent. He's not winning against weak fields. You know, the, the strength of the field at the, at the Waste Management and the Arnold Palmer Invitation, and particularly then, obviously, at the WGC and the Masters. He was fighting against quality fields. Also, the, the runner-up finish at the U.S. Open uh, counts in mm. his favor as well. It's not as though Cam Smith's had uh, a weak season by comparison by any stretch. I really do think it's a hair's breadth between the two of them right now. But I would give the slight edge to Scheffler. But any one of the next few weeks could change that. Yeah, and Scotty Scheffler carrying that number one in the world ranking at every major championship stop this season and I think wearing the crown uh, with a blonde but I do think that Cameron Smith has closed the gap by virtue of the quality and strength of his wins and we have seen a year where Rory McIlroy was named player of the year over Brooks Kepka even though Rory McIlroy did not win a major championship he did win the players and the players championship being the flagship event of the PGA Tour I think carries a lot of weight among the players who will be voting for the player of the year and this was remarkable this was Cameron Smith's 10th birdie in the final round of the players championship final round 66 to win it goes with his win at the century tournament of champions where he played the last 36 holes alongside the then number one player in the world in John Rahm and then of course that's 64 in the final round of the old course in the 150th 
Open Championship. I feel like that Players' Championship is a weighty win. And that old course victory uh, in, in the Open Championship might be worth a win and a half considering the history and the quality of the final round, in particular this up and down for Paul. Yeah, he, he's a Sunday afternoon performer, which is what champions are made of that year. We, we saw that at Sawgrass. We saw it at the old course. But you did hit on an interesting factor in this game. I did. It's, first it's an entirely <laughs> subjective yes. player vote. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of speculation whenever Rory McIlroy pipped out Brooks Kepka a few years ago for the award that it is in some ways a popularity mm. vote. Now, everyone's going to make their own subjective call who has the best season out there. But if you're making your own subjective vote, you're going to have a lot of criteria as an individual who you want to see get the award versus who you don't. Maybe somebody blanked you in a locker room and you decide, yeah. well, I'm going to vote for this guy. And given the speculation around Cam Smith and his future on the PGA Tour versus the Live Tour, if that speculation continues and is not put to rest, then is that likely to impact the, wow. the player vote that he might get from his peers as well? Because he hasn't put it to rest in any manner at all. So you might simply find that there are guys in the locker room who, if it's a very close vote, now if he goes and wins the FedEx Cup, to me there's no question, Cam right. Smith is your player of the year. Whether he stays on this tour or not, he's your player of the year. Yes. But you might find a situation where guys think if it's a close vote, they're not going to have the risk of voting for somebody as player of the year, even if they think he might be deserving, mm. if he's going to, you know, bolt from the altar. Interesting them. point you make. Even before Live Golf, you know, you mentioned Brooks Kepka. He was someone who said, well, I only care about the majors anyway. Even as a PGA Tour member, he seemed to, to downplay at best and, and denigrate even at worst the PGA Tour saying, you know, I kind of just show up. I, I, I'm all about winning major championships. And here you had Rory McIlroy, who's very pro Ponte Vedra Beach, very pro PGA Tour then and now. Like you said, if it's a toss-up, you may lean toward the player who is more outspoken in favor of the PGA Tour. And let's be honest, I mean, th this is a story that goes back to, to high school, you know, voted, you know, most successful, most likely to succeed. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we do. We're human beings. And I think that would also penetrate the locker room potentially as well. I think it's a great point that you make. Yeah, well, you know, Brooks used to mock playing regular 72-hole PGA oh, Tour practice, events. Oh, practice, practice. Now he finds himself playing shotgun starts with 47 other guys. You know, it's, life comes at you fast out here in professional golf. But, yeah, it's always going to be a factor in terms of an individual's vote in the yes. locker room for an award like this. It's not based, as the LPGA Tours Player of the Year right. is, on a strict points system by your finishes. So there's a certain transparent science to it. Yes. There's no transparency to the player's vote in terms of their, their Player of the Year and their personal preferences, the guys they like, guys they're not so fond of. That's going to factor in. It, both Cam Smith and Scotty Scheffler are extraordinarily popular yes. among their peers. So it's not as though it's a straightforward popularity contest. That might have been a little more muddied mm. with, with McElroy and Kepka a few years ago. But it, it's not the case that either one of them has enemies out there. But some guys might just think, well, I don't want to take the risk that our player of the year yeah. might not be as loyal Great as point. we would hope. It's a great point. I hope it comes down to the, the quality of their golf over these final five events on the PGA Tour. But you're right. I mean, we are human beings and we are, you know, we like to be objective, but we rarely are even in the fourth estate. So I, but I hope it is settled with their 14 clubs as opposed to any extraneous, you know, business outside the ropes. Well, we would like that to be the case 
But next up, we're going to talk about somebody who isn't in the running for any Player of the Year award. Unlike last year, Jin Young-ko has been the top-ranked golfer on the women's side for months. And with that comes a lot of expectations. So has her season been a bust? We'll discuss after the break. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Win Grips, the best grips in golf. And by Zexio, experience light, experience easy. Zexio, experience the difference. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Back on golf today, what a triumphant return to the major winner's circle for Brooke Henderson last week. Canadian fought back to win her second major. What a birdie putt right there at the Amundi Evian Championship. And she joins us at the top of the next hour. Looking forward to speaking to Brooke. LPGA Tour making its annual trip overseas to Scotland for this week's Trust Golf Women's Scottish Open. This year, the event returns to Dundonald Lynx in Ayrshire for the first time since 2017. Some great tee times, wonderful players, a test of Lynx golf. Tell you what, players are going to have to keep the ball kind of low in the wind, avoid the pot bunkers. Kind of what we saw at the old course, the men's game. Players gearing up for this great two-week stretch in the United Kingdom. I played last time in Scottish 2018. That was great. And I really love to visit here. I love to eat sausage roll. I had already at the coast and yesterday I had two. <laughs> yeah, I played well last year, uh, last week at the Viang and I hit some great golf shots and I missed a lot of putts, but I finished well and I got confidence from the Viang. So I'm looking for it. I need to get more confidence from the putting. So I practiced a lot for putting last week and yesterday I practiced over three hours maybe and I need more practice for putting today. You know, obviously the final major of the year is approaching. Do, do you feel added pressure to get one of those titles as the number one player in the world? Not yet. My friends, after after the last week, my friends told me, yes, you are world ranking number one, but it doesn't matter. You can't to win when you ranked world ranking number one. So don't don't think about world ranking number one. You need to win. And that's why I practice along for putting. Yeah. 
So I don't have I don't have pressure on myself. So I don't have I don't have nothing. I'm just human. So I want to play well. Can you tell us more about your sausage rolls <laughs> when you first liked sausage rolls? That was um, 2019 at the program AIG, and I didn't know about sausage roll, but the broker told me this is one of the best bread in Scottish, and then I I had one bite, and then with the brown sauce, so good. <laughs> Jin Young-Ko carrying the crown, number one player in the world. You see some notable tee times for the Trust Golf Women's Scottish Open, Minji Lee, two-time major champ, Lydia Ko, Jennifer Cupjo, and Hanako Shibuno, that 8.48 a.m. tee time. All three players, major champions. And we heard Jin Young-Ko talk about the putting. And in the season, you know, listen, she's a, a winner this season. She's got top tens in half her starts, but she's fifth, I should say. In 2019, she was fifth in putts per green. Last year, sixth in putts per green 2022 she's 20th aiming in putts per green so it's not a big slippage but it is a slippage and when you are competing against Cupcho and Minji Lee and Lydia Ko I mean even a small drop in your putting means you're getting top tens but you're not getting victories to me it, it seems more an issue around confidence I mean I'm shocked that the slip has been that little because when you listen to Jin Young Ko there it almost sounds as though it's a catastrophic fall off right. in her performance. And it makes you wonder, is she in danger of talking herself into thinking there's a problem where there is not? And everyone in this game has a recency bias. And it's understandable that she'd have one. I mean, she has been the model of consistency for the last few years. But in her last six starts, she's only had two top tens. She was only out of the top ten twice in her previous 13 starts. And to me, this just seems like an erosion of confidence yeah. more so. And, you know, the LPGA Tour suffers from the not having the depth of statistical evidence that the PGA Tour has. So players and people like us can then go and find out exactly what right. is the trend with different players. And it, it strikes me that her performance statistically does not equate to suggesting that there's a, a long-term problem here that she needs to resolve, which her words would lead you to believe that there is actually more yeah. of a problem. But to me, it smells like a confidence thing based on recent results rather than this trend where the pudding's getting away from her. She puts so much pressure on herself. And think about the high mark that she had last year. At one point, 14 consecutive rounds in the 60s, tying the LPGA record. She also ended the year Naples aiming, hitting 63 consecutive Greens in regulation, that, that just is not normal, even for the best of all time. I mean, she was putting up, you know, stratospheric numbers. So you couple that with the expectation she has on herself, saying, well, I won five times last year, but I, I didn't win a major. So Nelly should be player of the year because she won a major and she yeah. won Olympic gold medal. I mean, that's how Jin Young-Ko clearly is talking to us and talking to her circle of friends, and they're, they're talking through this, you know, how are you dealing with this? Just go out and play golf. But clearly, of the high level of golf that she played, especially last year with those greens in regulation and those rounds in the 60s, she's just, it's just hard to do in this game with a crooked stick and a dimple ball and bad bounces. It really is, and it was interesting to listen to her in, in that press conference say that she doesn't feel pressure because she's number one. She almost discounted the fact that she is the best player in the world according to the world rankings and focused on the fact that she needs to win. And that can be a very corrosive 
standard mm. to set for yourself because in you know we've heard a lot of other players particularly Rory McIlroy over the last few years talk about being able to find the small victories along the way that you're happy even on a week-to-week -week performance or you you win a regular tour event you don't necessarily win a major or you get to number one in the world again or you lead yeah. certain statistical categories you got to find small victories along the way and she doesn't seem to be minded towards finding those small victories at the moment that the bar is still set at a level that's unsustainable for almost everyone yeah. in the history of this game. Now, she hasn't completely lost it. She did find sausage rolls in Scotland, and <laughs> that's, that's going to send anyone on the right pathway in yeah. life right there. But these are an interesting couple of weeks for her. She's only played the Women's British Open twice, three times in her career. Right. She's got a second, a third, and a missed cut. And the third place finish in her last appearance at Woburn a few years ago, that's not even a Lynx golf course. So really, her experience on Lynx golf courses goes all the way back to Turnbury, where she was runner-up in 2015. So I don't necessarily know that this is the stretch of golf that she's likely to find mm. that confidence again. And if the confidence is low and she's talking herself into this kind of cul-de-sac of saying that there's an issue with a putting that the statistics don't reflect, then that might be more worrying for the team around her. Yeah, I mean, she was upset last year. She went five times, but she didn't win a major. She talked about, I, I wasn't the dutiful granddaughter. When her, when her grandmother uh, was ill and, and, and passed away, she, she felt guilty about that. I mean, I think the greats of the greats are, are harder on themselves than either of us could be on them. But sometimes you have to wonder if it's working against her and she's not even seeing the, the small victories, as you say. Yeah, and she seemed, you know, she was joking there. She was laughing, even though she's talking about in the grand scheme of things in someone's career, relatively serious stuff yeah. in that press conference. But after her final round of the Evian last Sunday, she said she was angry and wanted to cry, which yeah. seems like a remarkable statement of frustration from the number one ranked player in the world. And it's not as though she had gone home Friday. Right, and right. She just did not finish at the level mm. that she holds herself to. And I think she's going to have to start getting a little more flexible in terms of what the standard is yeah. and finding some ability to get those small victories out of it. And, and as we said when we were talking about her a couple of days ago, you, you wonder if there's a certain flatness kicked in when, when Nelly Corda got ill and suddenly this yeah. rivalry that had been built up with the nine victories between them last right. year, suddenly Nelly was out of the game from February onwards. And if, you, if you're a player who holds yourself to a standard that Jin Young-ko does, yeah. maybe you're driven to that standard a little bit more mm. when, when you have somebody else pushing you the way we saw, you know, Anika and Carrie Webb for do sure. for years. And Jin Young-ko doesn't seem to have that. And in the process, her own game seems to have flatlined. Yeah, world number one looking for a spark this week in Scotland and still to come, folks, on golf today. Patrick Cantlay, the highest-ranked player in the field this week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic on the PGA Tour, will hear from the reigning FedEx Cup champion as we assess his form heading into the week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
With the FedEx Cup playoffs right around the corner, the Rocket Mortgage Classic is a crucial stop for players trying to make it past the regular season and for those trying to better their position in the standings. Last year, it was Patrick Cantley who lifted the FedEx Cup at Eastlake. Entering the Tour Championship, Cantley had three wins on the season, including the second leg of the playoffs, the BMW Championship. Along with a trophy, Cantley took home a cheque for $15 million. We say hello now to George Savarikas, who's on the grounds at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. George, you spoke with Patrick Cantley earlier today. I assume he's fairly focused on trying to make a second run at the FedEx Cup? If you look at the numbers that he's put up so far this season, he's been playing at consistently a high level. It's been a, a solid encore considering what he was able to accomplish last year in winning the FedEx Cup. He has 16 starts, nine top ten finishes that win. And of course, those two playoff losses where he's come oh so close to notching multiple wins so far this season. So at this point of the year, compared to where he was a year ago, wanted to get Patrick Cantley's take on what had been the better season to the month of July. Last year was the longer season, so I'm sure there were even more events. So it showed that, you know, I've had a lot, in a weird way, I've had a lot more opportunities this year to win, um, which is both encouraging and, and disappointing. Um, I would have liked to have closed out more of those tournaments, but that's how golf is. I was able to close out nearly all of them uh, a year ago last summer, and uh, you're not going to close out every single one unless you're Tiger maybe. And um, so I think I'm, my game's in a really good spot. And like I said uh, in some um, press earlier in the year, I've been trying to double down on the process that got me to where I am, not change a whole lot, and just look for small incremental improvements. And I think the consistent play that I've had this year is a testament to that. Quick follow, uh, and you've said you wanted to close out more tournaments given uh, you had two playoff losses. When looking at the totality of someone's season, are wins at all an over, overrated metric? Uh, I think it's interesting. I mean, yes and no. I think um, media-wise, you know, you could have – I say this all the time, it's funny, but last year I was having a very average season until – Memorial or a very poor season uh, for me and I won Memorial and then won BMW and the Tour Championship and all of a sudden it was the best year I've ever had and I won Player of the Year, uh, PJ Tour Player of the Year. So golf is very interesting in that a week or two weeks could change, change the whole trajectory of your whole year um, and so never losing sight of the fact that you're only two wins in a row away from being the hottest player on the planet. That's, uh, that's a funny thing in our, in our game. Um, so uh, I think maybe wins are a little overweighted as far as how good a golf are you playing on a week-to-week -week basis. But that's the name of the game in our sport. It's how many wins and what tournaments did you win. Patrick Cantley saying just two hot weeks can really define a season like we saw last season in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Patrick Cantley also asked about rumors in which he may depart the PGA Tour after the FedEx Cup playoffs and, and go to live. He said, I don't have any plans at the moment to leave the PGA Tour after the FedEx Cup playoffs. Great stuff from George Savarikas, the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Very interesting comments. I always learn from uh, Patrick Cantlay when he speaks in the media center. I feel like last year, especially during that run in the playoffs, which he talked about, he became kind of a media darling, very clear-eyed about his place in the game and a little concerned, actually, with the amount of money that the players are, were earning, which is interesting. 
the place we find ourselves in the game today. But I'm curious what you took from what he said. You know, a year ago, a four-win season. This season, a one-win season. In a way, he's another version of, of Jin Young Cohen. It's very different, the mindset that they appear to have, because Patrick Cantley seems focused on the fact that he's had more opportunities to win. And he's, he's relying on that fact and telling, using that to tell himself that he is playing good golf week in and week out. He's just waiting to, to get on a little bit of a hot streak, as right. he said, you know, that two-week hot streak that turns you into the best player in the world. Whereas Jin Young-Ko seems to be talking herself out of that right now by looking for problems. Patrick Cantley, if he wanted to, can go and his shotling profile and look for problems. And he, he'll find something if he uses the metric that Jin Young-Ko is using against herself. I mean, he's a little bit off on his strokes gained off the tee. He's a little more off right. on his strokes gained approach. The only thing he's actually doing better this year is putting, but there hasn't been a great deviation in terms of his performance on those numbers versus last year. So he's not looking for problems. He's just being opportunistic and waiting for the chance to strike. And to me, that's what I took away from that, is that he's very much a mirror image of, of where Jin Young-Ko finds herself as well. One win coming off a great season last year. She's looking for problems and searching for confidence. Patrick Cantley seems confident, just waiting for the results. Yeah, he seems very clear-eyed about how fickle golf can be, but also how quickly your fortunes can change for the good. He is now a seven-time winner on the PGA Tour. His win this season with his good buddy Xander Shoffley at the Zurich Classic. I think for Patrick, in terms of how we look at him, now he's a FedEx Cup champion. His next step, you would think, would be a major championship. He has flashed on some major championship leaderboards, but he has not found a way to enough major championship leaderboards on Sunday. No, he did finish top 10 at St. Andrews in the Open Championship, and that's the first time Patrick Cantlay's had a top 10 at a major championship in three years. Right. And for a guy who's as consistent as he is and as good a putter as Patrick Cantley is, that's always a little bit surprising that in those biggest events that he's always seemed to fall and not short. And at a certain point, that pressure is going to start building on him because when you've been player of the year, when you've won a FedEx Cup, then people start to expect that you're then going to incrementally yeah. move yourself into contention in the other legacy-defining events out there, and Patrick Cantley hasn't done that yeah. yet. But, you know, like he said, it's not as though he's playing poorly. His major championship season may be over yeah. for now, but his, his FedEx Cup is by no means over right now. He's, he's riding a streak of five straight top 15 finishes. Yeah. So he might be that next guy who just needs that one good break on a Sunday and take advantage of it, like we saw with Xander Shoffley, who suddenly right. got hot uh, after being talked about as the guy who wasn't winning, who wasn't closing events for so long. Xander found that hot streak. Perhaps Cantley's the next guy. Yeah, all roads lead to Atlanta for Patrick Cantley. We know how comfortable he is at Eastlake Golf Club. Now, this family that Patrick Cantley comes from, and I talk about all the time, yeah, the UCLA Bruin, that's his younger brother, Jack. They grew up in Southern California. This is a great golf family. And now there's... Jack, all grown up, well, maybe not all grown up, he's 18 years of age playing out in Bandon Dunes, the U.S. Junior Am. In fact, shot a U.S. Junior Am record 28 over nine holes on Monday at Bandon Dunes. I mean, look at that inward nine. I mean, that is that's just beautiful scorecard. What do you think, Game? Not one that I'm particularly familiar <laughs> with myself, I gotta say, Damon, but. I'm not familiar with either side of that uh, scorecard. Good shooting for Jack 
Cantlay. All right, folks, time now though, for the CNBC Business Brief. Let's welcome in Dom Chu, CNBC senior markets correspondent who makes a lot of birdies in his rounds. Dom, what's on your mind today? Not as many as that, for goodness sake. Jack Cantlay, that's an, an amazing, and only because I've played Bandon Dunes, I know how just how hard it is to make a birdie there, and to have that many threes on one nine is pretty amazing. But uh, all right, business-wise, let's talk a little bit about what's happening with the numbers, because investors will be watching the Federal Reserve very closely this afternoon. America's central bank is widely expected to raise interest rates by another three-quarters of a percent as it continues to fight that big war on inflation and prices in this country. It's By, by the way, inflation's been running at a four-decade high, so it's got a lot of work to do, but very close eyes on the Fed. Speaking of prices, airfares, believe it or not, are actually starting to cool off. The average price for a round-trip domestic flight this fall is $298. That's according to travel booking app Hopper. That's down from over 400 bucks, which is where it was in May, so about 26% cheaper. Airlines, though, are still high in terms of airfare because they're still facing operational challenges, trying to navigate high fuel costs and, of course, staffing shortages as well. And finally, guys, I don't know what to tell you, but there was no winning ticket sold in last night's Mega Millions drawing. Friday's jackpot, yes, Friday's jackpot is now expected to top one billion dollars with a B with a cash out option of 600 million which would by the way make it the fourth largest U.S. lottery jackpot ever the odds of winning are still long they are one in 330 million dollars I would say good luck I will tell you from a factual standpoint Eamon Damon that I will be stopping at the convenience store on the way home to buy myself the two dollars and a dream for the Mega Millions jackpot. You know, if you win that, you don't really care what airfare prices are because you're never going to be in a commercial <laughs> the flight airline. again anyway. Well, if you don't play, you can't win, right? That's so, true. Dom, best I, of luck. I, 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 I will, and best of luck to you guys. And, and by the way, if I do, you have it on the record here. If I win the lottery, I'm still going to be at work the next day. I'll be with you guys. There so. you go. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Man who loves his job. The great I don't believe it. Dom Chu. He's always downplaying the quality of his game. He makes a lot of birdies. Don't let him fool you. Someone else who makes a lot of birdies. about... The Amundi Evian champ, Burke Henderson, yes, going to join us. Top of the hour, two-time major champ now. Has a chance to add another major next week at the AIG Women's Open. Brooke, in just a bit. Welcome back to Golf Today. In New York, it's pizza. Philly, it's the cheesesteak. And when in Detroit, it's the Coney Dog. Hot dog, no bean chili, and a little onion on top. As the high noon guys touched down in Motown, they had to see for themselves what the Coney Dog was all about at two staples before hitting up a little Muni on the outskirts of town in this edition of Tee It Up with High Noon Hard Seltzer. Uh, welcome to Detroit. First time here. God, I'm starving. You wanna go check out the Coney Dogs? Here is our feast. It's simple yet powerful. I need something to wash it down though. That was delicious. Lafayette Coney Island now. One bite. Get in there. <laughs> Old school diner vibes. Mm -hmm. I gotta go with the Lafayette dog. Oh yeah, me too. Folks, we're out at Rackham Golf Club here in Detroit. Rags and I are gonna play nine holes this morning. A little coffee golf. I 
think we're going to take a crack at the 313 challenge. Eagle Ace Birdie Challenge is what they do with the Rocket Mortgage. The odds are not in our favor, but crazier things have happened. Oh, cooks like a coney dog. Yeah, we're around the green for sure. Racks for three from way downtown. Did he do it? Did he do it? Oh, he bangs it in. Come on. Let's go. The 3-1-3 challenge First is live, baby. First three on the board. Let's go. Pins in the back. I mean, we have to make a hole in one here for the 3-1-3 challenge. Right. Maybe a birdie for our challenge, but. Oh, really good shot. Not an I mean, ace, but a, a very Not good an shot. ace, but <laughs> we'll have a good look at birdie from there. Yeah. All right, you're freed up for the ace then, man. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Draw. Okay. All right. Okay, some good shots. No ace, but two good shots. We're, we're vloggers, not golfers. We're vloggers. I thought we put up a really good fight. We came out of the gates gun blazing with the eagle. Kind of cooled off a little bit, but that's all right. You know what? It's, it's a hard challenge, so. Golf is an incredible game. Back to you. Major fun with the High Noon boys. And coming up right around the corner, the LPGA's most recent major champion, Brooke Henderson, joins the program. Stay tuned for an interview you won't want to miss. The newest major winner in the game is joining us. Brooke Henderson won the Evian Championship on Sunday for her second career major title and will be going for her third at the AIG Women's Open at Muirfield next week. The Pride of Canada is coming up. Golf Today continues. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Golf today continues on a Wednesday. It's Damon Hack and Eamon Lynch of Golf Week magazine. We marvel at the competition that we see on the PGA Tour and how strong it is with JT one week, John Brom, Rory McIlroy. But how about the women's game? Because we thought we were entering a year of Jin Young-Ko and Nelly Korda. They have one win combined. Instead, it's been Minji Lee here, Brooke Henderson there, Jennifer Cupcho here, Ataya Titikun there. I mean, it is not just about two players on the LPGA Tour either. No, and it really looked as though it was going to be about two players when we went through last year, particularly the second half of last year when Jin Young-Ko finished with five wins, yes. Nelly with four, and an Olympic medal. It had this promise of the rivalry that we've been waiting for on either side of this game. We haven't had a rivalry since Anik and, and Carrie Webb. Yes. And that's going back almost 20 years, probably more than 20 yeah. years at this point. And I guess it just shows how tough it is to actually win out there, particularly when you suffer a little bit of a lack of confidence the way that, that Jin Young-Ko has, the injuries that come up randomly that Nelly Korda has been sidelined by as well. And, you know, it's just not easy out there. And you see someone like Brooke Henderson, who appeared to be struggling earlier in the year, went home, took a break, hit a reset button, and has come out playing some sublimely brilliant golf. Yeah. Since then. Do you think this back and forth will continue? Because Jin Young-Ko has had a remarkable run at the top of the Rolex World Rankings. Or do you expect it to be now with this gap closing that we might see a, a new number one at some point or maybe kind of passing the hat around 
as we've seen some time to time on the PGA Tour. I, I think we're more likely to see parity than dominance yeah. at this point. There are just too many good players out there. And, you know, Brooke has been a consistent winner. She's won nine times between major titles and yet never seemed to filter up into these discussions about players yeah. who could potentially be number one. You've got a resurgent Lydia Ko in there as well. And Jennifer Kupcho obviously trending in the right direction as well. And Nelly still playing good golf, even though she's yes. coming back from a long layoff from injury. There are just too many good players circling Jin, Jin Youngko at this point for her to feel particularly comfortable in terms of hanging on to that ranking unless she can find her form again. Are you concerned at, at the way Jin Youngko is talking? Like kind of seeing the, the glass half, half, full, half full, you know, or half empty instead of full? Well, you know, I'm a golfer whose glass is permanently empty and there's a hole in the bottom of it. So I, I don't worry too much about what a player of Jin Youngko's caliber is saying. I, I do think she's talking herself into a, an absence of confidence. Mm. That's already a little bit shaken, but she's still number one in the world. Yeah, well, Brooke Henderson is flying high on the LPJ Tour. Let's flash back to 2016, the KPMG Women's PGA Championship at Sahali. You know, you mentioned Lydia Ko, Brooke Henderson beat Lydia Ko, kind of her hello world moment, capturing her first major in a playoff. Just 18 years of age. I mean, these two young superstars, what a battle that was outside of Seattle. A lot of trees. I mean, look, I mean, you know, if you don't hit the ball straight, you're not going to like that golf course. And then, of course, six years later, Sunday, Evian Leban, Brooke Henderson, a major championship winner again. You make a birdie at the last. I mean, that's just what the ballers do. And she's lost her lead, came back. What a strong way to close out. You see the players who have won major championships from Canada. Brooke Henderson now the first to win multiple major titles, man or woman, from Canada. As she just carries that strength, that burden sometimes of being the pride of Canada, the hopes of Canada so, so well. And we're so pleased to welcome in a two-time major champion, Brooke Henderson, now 24 years of age. Brooke, it's great to see you. Congratulations. I tell you, Sunday looked exhausting, that battle, but I imagine it was rewarding. How did you celebrate, or did you just go to bed? Um, yes, it definitely was very exhausting um, after struggling a little bit there on the front nine. Um, but coming back, fighting my way back on the back uh, back nine was was amazing. And, you know, three birdies in the last five holes felt great, especially with that birdie on the last to just seal the victory. Uh, had some champagne. Uh, it was lots of fun. And, you know, just, you know, going through the day with uh, Brit at night was a lot of fun. And, you know, just going through some of the highlights uh, and lowlights and, you know, just enjoying it all. Um, but I've definitely been sleeping a lot the last few days. Brooke, how difficult was it to kind of rebalance yourself when you struggled early in that final round on Sunday? Because what you did at the end is what champions do. You birdied three of your last five holes, including the last hole to win. But at some point, you had to feel a little bit less confident in, in the outcome. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, going into the day, I wanted to kind of get off to a fast start um, and increase my lead. And instead, I kind of did the opposite. So... Um, it was a tough front nine, but, you know, talking to Britt and she reminded me that, you know, majors are won on the back nine on Sunday and that I was still in an amazing position. I was still near the top of the leaderboard and I wasn't playing anywhere near my best. So I just tried to, uh, you know, dig down deep and try to give myself a lot of birdie looks. And I was fortunate to make 
a couple putts on 14 and 15 that went kind of around the hole. <laughs> um, and then, of course, to make that birdie on 18. All right, Brooke, let's get real for a moment. Early in the season, I spoke to Ping's Christian Pena, who told me greatness can't be stopped with a shorter driver. He was referring to the model local rule, limiting driver length to 46 inches. Were you motivated by that rule and maybe even take it personally? Um, yes, that rule change is very disappointing. Um, I think it's definitely unnecessary, especially on the women's side, um, to limit distance. So I did feel a little like it was a little bit of a personal attack as I was like one of the only players out on the LPJ tour um, that did use a longer driver. Um, but at the same time, you know, things come and go all the time and rules change and you just kind of have to adapt and go with it. Um, so the 46 inch that took uh, a lot of testing and a lot of different shafts and, and things, but I'm happy with this one right now. And, you know, hopefully as I continue to practice and, and work with ping and, you know, try to get a better driver, even, um, I'll be able to, you know, be hitting it just as well as I was before. Speaking of adapting to change, Brooke, earlier this year, after you'd withdrawn from the Lotte championship, which you'd won twice, and then you missed a couple of cuts out on the West Coast. You went home, took a break from the tour. You came back, you're putting left hand low, and suddenly you're back, you're winning. You've won twice since then, another major championship. What happened in that spell that just hit that reset button for you for the rest of the season? Um, yeah, you know, I had, uh, I wasn't feeling very well. I had a couple health issues um, earlier in the year, um, which caused me to withdraw from uh, Lotte, where I was a uh, champion two times before um so kind of a tough week to have to withdraw from um and then you know two missed cuts right away right after that so um i did go back home to canada for about a month and that was amazing you know i was able to you know kind of gain some perspective and, and get the right right mindset moving forward and also you know just kind of heal and, and get back to a, a better place you know physically and mentally on that note, Brooke, I mean, you won your first major at the age of 18 when most folks are, you know, reaching for their cap and gown for high school graduation. How difficult or easy has it been navigating, kind of protecting your confidence, protecting your mental health and dealing with being the, the hopes and dreams of Canada? Um, yeah, you know, I got off to a really fast start with my career, you know, winning at, at 17, my first tour event, and then major at 18. Um, it's really been a dream come true uh, these last eight years. Um, it was a long time between majors, so I'm definitely happy that I was able to get my second one uh, this year, and hopefully the third won't be as far behind. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think golf and, and just life in general, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. It's a bit of a roller coaster ride. And the good times you want to, um, you know, really celebrate and the tough times, you know, you kind of just have to persevere your way through it and, and wait for them to get good again. Did you find yourself growing impatient or feeling any pressure during those six years between majors, Brooke? Because it's not as though you were in a slump. I mean, you'd won nine LPGA Tour events and were consistently ranked towards the top end of the Rolex rankings in that time. So it's not as though you disappeared. What was your impatience level like? And was it self-inflicted or external? Uh, you know, I was really happy to get my first major really early. Um, so I didn't have the question of, you know, when are you going to win your first major? Um, I didn't really have that question ever asked to me, um, which was really nice. That kind of pressure was off. Um, and I felt like I've had some really good finishes in majors over these last few years. And, you know, a shot or two 
here and there, it could have been maybe a different story um, on a couple of them. But, you know, I think, as you know, major championships are extremely difficult uh, to win. And there's so many talented players out on tour um, and everybody has those weeks circled on their calendar. So it is very tough to to hoist that trophy and to win. So I think I'm just really celebrating um, that I was able to do it again, even though it did take six years. Um, and hopefully, um, like I said, hopefully the third major championship won't be as far behind. Yeah, it could happen next week. Now, Brooke, I watched almost every shot you hit at the Amundi Evian. And watching you on a tee box, swing, pick up the tee, swing, pick up the tee. It's a very confident presentation. How did you develop so much swagger on the tee box? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, I just kind of look up right away. And if it's going straight, then I'm happy with it. Um, sometimes when I stare a little bit longer, then there might be a little bit of trouble. <laughs> but for the most part, um, I've always loved to hit driver. And it's always been my favorite club. So I think just growing up, just trying to hit it long and, and hit it straight um, was kind of what, what I was trying to do. Now you've mentioned a couple of times the idea of getting a third major, Brooke. You're going to get your chance next week at the AIG Women's Open at Muirfield. You've played the AIG Women's Open seven times, yet a tie for 11th four years ago is your best finish. How do you adapt to Lynx golf? Is it, are you comfortable in that environment? Uh, it's definitely a, a big change for me. Um, it's definitely been a learning curve <laughs> since my first uh, British Open that I was able to play in. Um, it's so different than the courses that I grew up on. So, I mean, you can see that in the results. I T11 a couple four years ago and then T13 last year. So, you know, I'm getting closer, um, narrowing the gap, I, I guess. But I think, you know, just taking some patience and I think, you know, it, it does depend a little bit on which draw you get um, and the weather uh, that you get those first couple of days. I think that makes a big difference. But hopefully uh, next week, I'm just super excited to be able to play Muirfield. I think that's an amazing course. And to have the women's game and the women's championship held there, I think, is a pretty big deal. So I'm definitely looking forward to that opportunity and hopefully get on the right wave and hopefully keep the momentum going from last week. Well, Brooke, how about the fact that the women are competing at Muirfield for a while? That would have been, you know, heresy a decade ago, but we're seeing the doors open in this game and we're seeing some changes, and a lot of efforts surrounding diversity, equity, inclusion. How about just the significance of the women competing at Muirfield? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's just showing that the game on the women's side is being elevated and we're getting to play better venues um, that the men have played for a really long time. And our purse sizes, they're continuing to grow and, and you know, people are really starting to uh, show the LPJ some some love and, you know, more fans all the time, too. So it's really an exciting time to be a part of the women's game. And, you know, hopefully it can just keep trending in, in this direction and we'll get closer to, you know, pay quality and, and playing the best golf courses around the globe. Well, it was fun to watch you in France. It was very warm. Might be a little cooler next week at Muirfield. But best of luck in pursuit of your third major title. We'll speak to you down the road. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Now, two-time major champion, Brooke Henderson. You see her right there on this list, winning the Amundi Evian Championship. How about the entire season? So we've had four majors so far. Jennifer Cupcho adding the Chevron to her Augusta National Women's Amateur. Minji Lee winning that U.S. Women's Open at Pine Needles. And then Inji Chun getting it done at the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Sleeping on the lead.
as she did. So what do we want to see going forward the rest of this LPGA season? Uh, you tell me, I mean, I'm curious. You, we've got such a diverse group of major champions that don't include any of the names that we might have predicted <laughs> at the start of the year. What's missing? The, where, where's the missing piece for you as we move through what's left? Oh, of the I got the missing season? piece. It's Lexi Thompson. I, I just don't understand. I, she didn't even play, first of all, last week. This is someone who, in her first three starts at the Amundi Evian Championship, when it became a major in 2013, finished third, tied for 10th, and second. And then in 2019, she had that Instagram post saying, hey, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I don't really like this golf course when you hit the fairway. And she also said, I didn't play very well. Lee Trevino didn't like Augusta National it's, much, but he kept showing up. Yeah, but he, but he also kind of said, I should have gone into those weeks with a better mindset. And we yeah. have seen players throughout history sometimes say, well, I don't like this because there's been players to criticize the old course through the years. But I just think for someone who hasn't won since 2019, I'm surprised that Lexi would make that call to not compete at one of those really precious, important tournaments in, in a place where she had had some success. So I think, you know, without Nellie Corder being at full strength in 2022, with, with Jin Young-Ko kind of questioning where she is right now, even though she is the number one player in the world, they got to, where is Lexi Thompson, one of the great ball strikers, 11 wins on her LPGA CV, a major champ. You know, we've talked about her putting issues. She's not putting that poorly in 2022, except seemingly in the clutch on Sundays. I know she's working hard. I just kind of wonder where Lexi is mentally right now in the game. Well, we know where she is physically. Apparently, she's sitting on her couch in Florida rather than actually competing in a major championship in France. Um, you could also offer some criticism there because all of the, the sponsors and organizers behind women's major championships have put a lot of effort over the last couple of years into boosting the prize they funds. Have. And there was a million-dollar payout at Evian last weekend. And it's marginally disrespectful when one of the best players in the world mm. decides that I'm not showing up there to support the event because I don't like the golf course. And it's one thing to work on your mindset. You know, Trevino said he should have gone to yes. Augusta with a better mindset, but at least he went. The first step is getting on the plane mm. and, and going there. I didn't think it was a particularly good reflection on Lexi that she's opting out of what the LPGA defines as a major tournament yeah. because she doesn't like the golf course that's if you yeah. only play golf courses that you like you're, you're going to have a really small list of yeah. courses i agree especially mike juan the former commissioner of the lpj tour said it was his job to create big stages for the women to perform it was part of the reason why there is now five majors on the lpga tour to give the women the opportunity for us to watch how about you for me it's lexi what, what do you want to see at this uh, kind of late stage of the LPGA season. I'd like to see Molly Marcos-Saman, the LPGA commissioner, actually take a lead on, on Live Golf and not follow the people who are just simply drawn by the money. I mean, she was stated on the record last week that if Greg Norman called, she would take the call. And I get that she has an obligation to her members to investigate whatever is in their interests, but their interests extend far beyond just money. And any women's sports league of major stature that aligns themselves with a regime that is misogynistic, deprives women of their rights and chops off heads, loses credibility yeah. overnight. And I think Molly Marcusaman understands that as well. She, she's going to have to, at some point, not bow to any kind of pressure based purely on money 
and economics, because if you do that, then your ability to take a stand on things like equality and rights and basic decency kind of leaves you if you're working for MBS. It's a credibility factor, and she needs the stiff arm, that, that kind of Saudi intervention. They can't allow the LPGA to be used as a prop mm. by, by the Saudis, and that's ultimately what I'd like to see in the second half of the season, because Molly Marcusman is not unaware of the greater knock-on effect of what could happen if the Saudis do actually end up trying to buy the LPGA Tour. Disappointed that she even said she would take the call, not that she would align with the Live Golf series, but that she would even entertain the phone call with the CEO, Greg Norman. Well, I'd like to say that was a sort of a matter of politeness, mm. and we'll see what happens, but, yeah. you know, everybody's got the obligation in that job to listen. It's, let's see what happens when... Yeah the time comes to act. Yeah. Especially but, with the momentum the LPGA has with the purses that are increasing. We're seeing more sponsorship money going to the women's game. Chevron, for example, part of the reason we're moving uh, to a new venue in 2023 is because these dollars are now more apparent than they were. So you would see this potentially as a backward step or just hypocrisy? A lot of both. Yes. And it would be worrisome how the sponsors who have invested in the LPGA mm. Tour over the last few years would feel when we get to that point as well. The world's best women are in Scotland this week for the Trust Scottish Open at Dundonald Links. Here are some of the notable tea times. And you'll see at 3.32 a.m. Eastern, Minji Lee is going off with Georgia Hall and Maya Stark. And Minji Lee will be one of several players trying to get her third major title next week when the women's AIG British Open tees off at storied Muirfield Golf Club in Scotland as the world's best take on one of the world's best golf courses. But here's what Minji Lee has done in the major championships this year. Tied, she was solo 12th at the Chevron. She won the US Women's Open, tied second at the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, and then had a slump last week by comparison with the Amundi Evian Championship. Minji Lee spoke to the media earlier in Scotland. Last week was quite up and down. You know, I, I feel like I made a lot of birdies, but I also had some quite large scores on a few holes and, you know, made a few soft bogeys here and there. So, you know, um, I could take the positives and also reflect on um, the things that I could do better. So, you know, this week is a new week and um, excited for some links golf. How would you just assess your year overall? Um, I think it's been uh, quite solid. Um, you know, I've been striking it pretty good um, even after US Open and um, finished well at KPMG and, um, you know, probably didn't strike it as good um, at Evian. But um, I, I think that maybe it's just a frame of mind. Like maybe I had a little bit too many expectations for myself. And, you know, especially when you're defending, I think you have that little bit extra pressure. So um, just going into this week, I'm going to just, you know, try and have a bit more fun on the golf course and, you know, um, be able to, like, imagine my shots a little bit better. I think um, it's going to work well for me a bit, like, for Lynx Golf. How would you describe your feelings toward Lynx Golf? And when did you first feel like you you understood it? I think I still don't understand it, but I don't think anybody does because, 
you know, it can give you, it can really give you anything. Um, obviously the weather is really dependent on um, how tough like Lynx golf can play. So I, I think the beauty of it is that it's always different. Um, so I don't know what to expect on the day. So you really got to take it one shot at a time. And that's kind of, I, I think that's what makes it so great. What have you heard about Muirfield? Um, my coach said it was just really quite a tough track, um, but I'm not sure how they're going to set it up for the women's in comparison to the men's. So um, he's only been to like men's events. So um, I know it's going to be a really great test of golf and it's, it's going to be um, really good. I'm in G Lee in Scotland. So time now for Take Your Pick. Who is the best player in the women's game right now? Is it Minji Lee? You were just looking at her. I was, okay. Right there. I mean, she started the year as number seven, number seven in the Rolex ranking. She's now number two. And when you look at her from the AIG Women's Open last year where she tied for fifth, and we just saw her record in the majors this year, the 12th at the Chevron. And last week was an actual outlier performance at the Evian. She didn't perform particularly well but winning the US Women's Open, which is the toughest of all to win, and then finishing tied second in the Women's PGA Championship. I mean, that, that is the very definition of what we like to call big game hunting. Mm. And every time we see Brandel Chambly on live from talking about her swing, he, he's just, he adores this golf swing. He's absolutely in love with what he keeps referring to as an almost perfect golf swing from Minji Lee. And the results back her up. As well, you know, she's got her win. She's three other top three finishes as well. To me, she's the one who's playing the most consistent golf and being opportunistic in actually winning. Because being consistent but not winning doesn't really get you I was much. with you with Minji, and she missed the cut. And so I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to the world number 10, Jennifer Cupcho. You've cooled on her because she missed the cut after Yes, it was a big her. cut. She was the defending champ. I expected How have you stayed more. married so long? I, you know? Right, you know, I'm a little bit fickle. I'm, I'm, I'm off the train. I'm, I'm on a new, I got a new ride. It's Jennifer Cupcho. Three wins this season, by the way, including a team event, including a major yeah. championship. I keep thinking back to Diane Daly, former coach at Wake Forest, who legend has it heard the sound of Jennifer Cupcho's shots before she even saw the golf swing and thought the sound was different. This was the player who won the 2019 Augusta National Women's Amateur, which I think we'll look back, you know, 20, 30 years from now. You know, it's kind of like a, a U.S. Amateur. It's a major championship, if not with the name anyway. Yeah. We're talking about the inaugural Augusta National Women's Amateur. She turns professional and we're kind of waiting for the moment. And then it happens and she wins and wins in a big way. Three wins this season. She's won two of her last four starts and now up to 10 in the world. I think it's Jennifer Cupcho who's starting to play professionally as she played at Wake Forest as an amateur. And that number 10 ranking in the world is pretty impressive considering that in January when we started the LPGA Tour season, she was number 44 yeah. in the world. Uh, my only knock on Cupcho is consistency. Fair. She's had those three wins, but she only has one other top 10 finish for the entire year on the books and to me maybe that is the model for how golf works these days that yes. you're opportunistic when you're in the mix you win and you don't worry about those times when you're not in the mix yes. so much but I've, I've always been a great admirer of consistency that's what has made Jin Young Ko the player mm. she is and Nelly Korda the player she is and, and many generations before her and Jennifer Cupcho to me still seems to be just in search 
of the consistency a little bit. And I misspoke. Minji Lee did not miss the cut at Evian. She missed my cut at Evian because I had her as a top 10 finisher on a little points bet, best bet, and she finished tied for 43rd. So she missed my personal cut, and therefore I'm off the train and on the Jennifer Cupcho train. Well, that doesn't exactly count as major championship heartbreak that she finished tied <laughs> for 43rd at the Evian.